Hello and welcome to episode 165 of Ferg on the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at HRRP. And joining me, as always, is the enlivening League Freak. You can find on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm going really well. I'm glad that uh, I enliven people. I It makes you wonder when you use enlivening in a sentence normally. Like if someone says, oh, they're really enlivening, what the hell are they talking about? Um, have a look, because I, I found it under a um, a synonym for arousing. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Maybe it's just another way of saying, yeah, makes them moist. Mmm, Yeah, exactly. So um, let's start with, um, so what did you have for dinner? <laughs> I, you know what I had for dinner? I'll tell you what I had for dinner. Was it I had I had the sumptuous dinner. It was a Cadbury milk chocolate cake bar. And uh, I had like these Ritz crackers with chocolate in between them. And you heard me have my dinner. So it was uh, very quick and nasty. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, um, it sounded like someone was stuffing food into a dog's mouth. Nom, 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 nom. It was, you know what? That's what it looked like as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um... It's been a dull, boring, repetitive week this week in the uh, in the rugby league world, so let's talk about something else. Okay, well, we decided to talk about players that we liked watching and players that might be forgotten about in rugby league that we've seen and we really appreciated watching play, you know, because the last thing we want to talk about is what's, what's actually going on in rugby league at the moment because nothing's really happening. So yeah, uh, we've done enough bitching about the media for for the last week and a half. I'm sure you're getting a bit tired of it. So let's do something a bit more positive and uplifting, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. So I, should I lead off? Yeah, because at this stage, I came up with the idea and did nothing else after that other than write down the episode number and the word yep. enlivening. I um I turned <laughs> on my computer and said I'm ready to go. <laughs> yep, that's pretty much it. Um. So this is really well thought out and really well planned. Mm. This is really going off the top of their heads. It's going to be good. So, you know, the first player that I was thinking about was I really used to love watching Steve Carter play. Um, oh, he played... Solid. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm good with this stuff. Um, he, the thing I liked about him is he was in everything. Um, he reminded me a little bit of a... A young Josh Reynolds reminded me of Steve Carter a little bit. Carter was in everything. He was a veteran player. He played in some very good Panthers teams. He played in some really bad Panthers teams as well towards the end of his career, unfortunately. But um, the thing about him is you always got that 100% effort. And, yeah, I, I just loved watching him play, even when we were having some really terrible years coming into the end of the, the 90s and the early noughties. Um just a sensational player. It's a shame he wasn't still around when they won the premiership in 2003. But, yeah, he's just one of those players that I'll always remember playing for the Panthers and um, probably didn't get all of the accolades he, he could have got or he deserved. But, yeah, I loved him. He was great. I remember as a kid watching Steve Carter, and I don't know why because it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. I used to get him confused with Brad Izzard. Yeah, I wonder why. Like, I mean, Izzard was Izzard was a bit of a back rower. Um, I think Brad Izzard was a cop as well, from memory. 
Um, and yeah, he was a earlier career sort of dude. I guess they kind of both had like blondish hair, didn't they? It might have been that. I think that they just had a, a similar approach to the game. Yeah. So they both they both ripped in. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. Um, obviously, I'll, I'll I'll go with my obvious one first up. Obviously, and then we'll go move on from there. But Tim Brasher was one that obviously stood out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but one who I think has been horribly overlooked as time's gone on, mm-hmm. who I used to like watching was Gary Freeman. Yeah, I, I actually talked about him on the weekend. Um, the best New Zealand halfback of all time, in my opinion. I mean, do you think the same thing? I find it hard to argue that he wasn't. Yeah. Um, geez, he was... Because there wasn't much to him. He was just skin and bone, but, man, he was feisty. Like, the only halfback I've seen to have this sort of fire in the belly that he's got is probably Luke Brooks. Like Luke Brooks can get fired up pretty easily if someone does the wrong thing to him. Most halfbacks, they're shit scared of starting a fight with someone because they know that they're tiny, they're going to get smashed. But Brooks is just mad sometimes. Get into it, yeah. And Freeman was the same. I mean, he was vicious, um, very tenacious. Yeah, and like, you know, if Freeman reminded me of the stories you heard of older halfbacks, like a Tommy Bishop, like the stories about him. Um, I actually saw Gary Freeman. I know I talked about it recently when I met Arthur Beetson. Gary Freeman was the other guest speaker at that event. And uh, Gary Freeman was absolutely amazing to talk to as well. And it, like some of his stories were absolutely hilarious. And yeah, I mean, th- this is a guy that was the, the halfback of a team that went to two straight grand finals. And I mean, he, he had a, he played at, uh, Eastern Suburbs, he'd come to Panthers and played pretty well for the Panthers as well. And yeah, he's just, I don't think we have too many halfbacks like him anymore. Where the, maybe a James Maloney was a little bit like that. Um, yeah. Do, do, like, would you say James Maloney that was just always into the opposition, always at the ref, you know? Yeah. Never, never giving up. Mm. You knew you were going to get 110% from him every week. Um, yeah. And, yeah, kind of like Maloney, wasn't a great defender, mm-hmm. but everything he did with the ball in the hand was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I really do. Like, when I hear people saying that Stacey Jones is the best Kiwi player of all time, I, I don't understand it. And then when they say he's the best Kiwi halfback of all time, I just, I can't line it up. I can't line it up with what I saw out of him versus what I saw out of Gary Freeman. Um, I would pick Freeman every time if I had to choose between the two. Oh, likewise, likewise. Yeah, uh, Freeman's phenomenal. I tell I mean, you, a, he, a he must sw- have, he must have been good because um, Alan Jones didn't want him at the at Balmain in '91. <laughs> well, you know, any time you've got a a Test half back that's led you to two straight premierships, premiership, you know, grand finals, I should say. Um, why would you keep him around? You get yeah. rid of. That's right. I did something with Gary Jack. Yeah. You don't need golden boot players in your team. No. Let's bring in rugby union halfbacks instead. That'll work. <laughs> Fucking genius, uh, Alan. Um, Melbourne Storm. I mm-hmm. think where Nick Owl is a little bit forgotten in the Storm's history. He's, I said the other day that his grand, the, when they won the grand final in 2000, uh, sorry, in 1999, 
I felt like he was the best player in the field that day by a long, long way. I think that's one of the worst Clive Churchill medal decisions. I think they gave it to Brett Morley from memory. Um, he was a sensational player, played for the Sharks as well. He was very good for the Sharks, but I felt like once he got to the Storm, he like a lot of different things come together for him at the Storm, and it, I feel like that was his best football. Yeah, no, he was he was an unbelievable footballer. Yeah. Um, had a huge career in England too. Yeah, who was he played for in England? I can't uh, remember. Was it, it, no, it wouldn't have been Hull, I don't think. Um, he started out at Sheffield in 89. Okay. Then he was at Kaz, 91 to 96, and then he ended up, after at Melbourne, he went to Warrington for two years. Warrington, there you go. He actually lost his leg in an accident from memory. Yeah, motorbike um, accident. Yeah, and I think he actually went on to play a little bit of rugby league at some level. I don't know if it was the, um, in, you know, the disabled rugby league mm. competitions I have, but uh, an amazing person. He's actually one of those rugby league players I would really love to meet because I think he would be, I think that the rugby league side of things would take a backseat to the sort of person he is. You know, I think that you would meet him and you'd be like, yeah, the, he's a former footy player, but just ch- chatting to him, talking about the stuff he'd been through and stuff. I think that that would be, sensational to talk to Twer Nick out. Oh yeah, he'd be unbelievable. He was he was some great player, that's for sure. That mm-hmm. was a good one. Um my next one? Mm-hmm. Gavin Miller. Oh man, he was tough. He was tough and man, he was skilled. I think I'd probably be I I'd be comfortable in saying that he was the first Wade Graham type player to come along. Probably not so much as a half, although he did play a little bit of 5'8 early in his career as well mm-hmm. as centre. Mm-hmm. But phenomenal second rower. Mm-hmm. Um, had a good kicking game as well. Um, just an all-round, all-round athlete. You could put mm-hmm. him, if you had to put him, put him in a side anywhere because, you know, second row was full, you could put him in any jumper you wanted to. You're going to get a top-of-the-line performance from him. Just an unbelievable competitor. And he was part of that Sharks team that was like a, in the uh, mid-1990s. I mean, they had some really good players. They were a little bit unlucky that they were good during an, an era where there were some very, very good teams that come together. And then I guess towards the end of it, the Super League war kind of took a little bit out of them as well. But, um, yeah, like, who was, the, who was the really tough forward that they had? That was a really, really tough forward. Um, yeah, it was uh, Dan Staines. Mm-hmm. Danny Lee. Uh, Nathan, Nathan Les Long. Davidson. Les Davidson was the one I was thinking of. Oh, yeah. He was, he was just... He was, he's, he was the ultimate definition of what they used to call as a no-nonsense prop. Yeah, he really was. Like, um, I think Les Davidson is one of those players that probably gets goes missing a little bit. Like, I I kind of line him up alongside of a bit of a Mark Carroll. I think Mark Carroll had a bit more mobility about him, but Les Davidson, man, he was fantastic. Oh, him and... Yeah, sort of come through the, the 80s with players like South Front Row and Michael Andrews. Um, mm-hmm. Just tough. No nonsense. Um, geez, I'm getting, some, I'm getting some old rugby league cliches in here now. <laughs> but it's funny though because there's 
there's some players like when you like how many modern day players, how many players from the initial year could you say have that same sort of toughness? Like I, I look at someone and I know we talk about him nearly every episode, but I think that when you look at a Talmalolo and you think that every single team game plans around him and they still can't stop him. There's a toughness to that. There is. I think also a player who can cop a fair few knocks and keep going mm-hmm. is a good sign. So someone like um, uh, Luke Lewis, Liam Fulton. Like Jeff you look at Yeah, you look at him and go, there's not much to him. You know, muscle-wise, they look pretty bony, but they cop the knocks and they just keep popping back up and keep going again. Mm-hmm. Um, Liam Fulton was ridiculous because he looked like he was only about 85 kilos playing in the second row. I mean, what the fuck was he thinking? But he'd make like 45, 50 tackles every week. Just yeah, that's uh, that's ridiculous. and that takes it that takes it out of like takes it out of their soul. Like, remember when uh, Nathan Hindmarsh burst onto the scene and he was a hard running second rower. Like mm. he was in the the same vein as say a Gordon Tallis early yeah. on in his career, and then he, it was like overnight. I, I don't know if Brian Smith said to him, "Man, we need our back rowers to be making fifty tackles a game," because it was like a switch went off in his head, and he just started making those tackles. But it took something out of him physically. I mean, he slowed right down pretty quickly, and yeah, to, to you know, Je- that's the thing about Jeff Tuvey that gets me is that. He did a lot of that work. Uh, he played a lot of hooker at rep level, and it didn't slow him down as much as it did some other bigger players. Yeah, Tuvi was tenacious as hell. Mm. Um, geez, you won't see too many players that had more spirit in the way they played than he did because he, you know, he had to make up for the for the lack of size he had. And while he didn't have the the guile of say Alan Langer. Man, he, he had him covered when it comes to toughness. Yeah, I'll never, I, I, I'll never forget that 97 grand final. He had his face stomped on. Mm-hmm. He just went off and, you know, just put some sticky tape on. I'll go back out. She'll be right. <laughs> he yeah, never did. bitched and moaned about it to the ref or anything. Just get it taped up, go back out in the field. Do you reckon that that was on purpose or an accident? On purpose. Really? See, I think it was an accident. I think... Yeah. I, Personally, I think, I think, I think it's, it's easy to make something like that look like an accident, but mm-hmm. um, I, I think it was intentional. If you if he had a look down and saw that it was just some run of the mill bench player line on the ground, wouldn't have cared. But if you've got Jeff Tuvey on the ground, you go, I can get her the sneaky's foot on the foot on the head here and take out one of their you know their chief playmaker. Yeah, come on, you. If you've got that opportunity in front of you and you know you can get away with it. There's a fair chance that inside your head you're going to say, oh, I'm going to do it. And you're a winger. Yeah. Why not? Because if you get sent off, I mean, who cares? You're only a winger. Oh, you're, you're talking me around here. Say, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I always felt like it was one of those things where, how would you describe it? You know when, uh, say you jump out of bed, and you look down, and as your foot is coming down, you see that you're about to step on your phone or something, and it's just, it's too late. You're stepping on it. You can't stop it. I felt like it was like that. But you make a really good point. Yeah, I think it's, I put it more down to uh, when you get out of the car 
yeah. and you've just got home and you just pull your keys out of your pocket to open and unlock the door. Mm-hmm. And just as you do that, your bladder saying, it's time to piss. <laughs> and you're doing that quick run, fumble through your fingers there and you, you're trying to grab the keys. And there's a part of your mind going, I could just stand here and piss my pants. Or I could open the door and then rush in and go to the toilet. And you've got that split second where you can go one way or the other. And on that decision, they decide to piss their pants. The fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) That's friggin' hilarious. Oh, man. Have you ever pissed your pants? Me? Oh, yeah, heaps of times in the first two or three years of my life. Oh, well, I used to do it back then as well. I'm talking about the first two or three years of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can't remember the first year and a half. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I can't remember the first one in ten years. (laughs) It's so weird when you get to that point and you start to forget, like, things you know you lived through. Yes. Yes. You know what people will forget? I tell you some people will forget how important the bicentenary was in nineteen eighty eight. I'll tell you how important that was. Yeah. Well, I don't know if this happened to your school, but my school. Uh, yeah. I was in primary school at the time. They used to get these little card thing and it had a bicentenary coin, coin in it. Yeah, I got one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got one too. Um and also growing up in the bush where I was, uh, we had a rubbish tip. Yeah. And my dad went to take the rubbish up to the tip one day and found a box full of those things there because the school got too many of them. They went, oh, what are we going to do with these? I just chuck them in the bin. <laughs> That's <laughs> how important the bicentenary was. <laughs> and, let, and let me guess, right? At school, all of the kids, and I know you didn't have a big school you went to, but all the kids were like, man, this will be worth something one day. I I don't think so. I think a lot of kids that I went to school with went, eh. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Do you know? You know, I remember there were these um, Don Bradman coins, and I don't know how I ended up with them, but I ended up with like a hundred of them, and they were they'd been put in the Telegraph, in the Telegraph newspaper. I ended up with heaps of them. Anyway, one year for um, trick or treat, I had nothing, so I start giving out these Don Bradman coins. Right, mm-hmm. about six months later, I find out these things are actually worth something. <laughs> <laughs> I had like two or three of them left. You're, you're just dishing out collectibles to random I kids was, on the street. I was just handing them out. I was like, oh, you got some family? Yeah, take some more. Yeah, I was not happy when I found that out. I think the first time I ever handed out stuff on uh, on uh, Halloween night was just <laughs> went to the shop and bought like 30 cans of tinned asparagus. Oh, jeez. I just handed them out to little kids as they come to the door. <laughs> This will teach them. They won't come back to my house again. No well, ghost, know, I need all the chocolate. Well, you know how I've got more Iron Man helmet, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you can touch that. You touch the side of it, and the thing opens up. And when you touch it again, it closes down, and the lights turn on for the eyes. So I'm wearing my Iron Man helmet last Halloween, and I open the door. I've got the visor down, and I press the side, and it comes back up, and all the kids are like, ooh, and this little kid goes, oh, can I have a go? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, all you do is you touch the side, right? So I bend down for him to do it. He bitch slaps me upside the head so hard that it doesn't even register with this helmet. It didn't do anything. I thought he'd broken it. 
<laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'll never do that again. Did you uh, hit him back? Nah. Nah, I should have Sparta kicked him. That's what I wanted to do. But, <laughs> you know, curious, you, sp- I'm curious you can't how old this kick kid was. Right. I'm curious as to how old this kid was if you had to bend over <laughs> to get down to his yeah. level. He was a he was a little kid. He was a little kid, but yeah. You should have started kicked him. Can you imagine right that? The, right in the nose. Right in the, right in the face. But we don't do that. Um, so who who are we up to? Is it you or me that are talking about players? Um, I'll chuck one in there. Let's see. Who can we put in there? Hmm. Trying not to pick someone from Balmain. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Alan Wilson. Alan Wilson? Who was Alan Wilson? Yeah, man. He he wasn't wasn't that prominent. He did play for New South Wales, I think, in two Origin games in 1989. Yeah. Uh, just check. Yeah, he did. Mate, he was one of the most versatile players ever. Oh, really? Okay. In his, in his first grade career... He played two games at fullback, 19 on the wing, one at centre, four at five-eighths, one at halfback, one at prop, eight at hooker, 31 at second row, and 25 at lock, as well as 17 on the Whoa. bench. Whoa. He covered everywhere. That's nuts. How big was he? What was, Like, how big? Um, A similar sort of build to Gavin Miller, mm-hmm. but not not as solid. Yeah. But a similar sort of build. So he had, the, he had a decent set of shoulders on him. Yeah, he wasn't exactly a fast runner either. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you could just put him anywhere you wanted to in the in the team, and he just do a job. Um, just trying to find one year here where it was just a bit crazy and he was all over the place. Now uh, here we go. <laughs> round rounds. This is in nineteen ninety. Round seven, he played at lock. Round nine on the round nine and ten on the wing. Round eleven, prop. Rounds 12 to 15, second row. Round 16, lock. The second row, lock. Um, started at wing that year. That's insane. 1987. Hooker, bench, 5'8", bench, wing, bench, lock, centre, lock, 5'8", halfback, fullback, lock. Wow. That, the only player I can think of in like more modern times, maybe a Luke Lewis, who started yeah. on the wing... You know, could play Luke five was, eight if you needed him to. He covered everywhere in the back line. Yeah, but I think he only played lock and second row. I don't know if he ever played hook or, or front row. But this bloke yeah. covered every position on the field. Wow, that's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Who did he play for? He played for a few clubs. But most he's mostly known for his time at Cronulla. Okay. Um, but he also played for Norse and St George. All right, that's really interesting. Yeah, I've, I've never his, heard uh, of him. Hey. His father was uh, former kangaroo Graham Wilson, who played, for, I think, for the Dragons. Mm. Might have been North. Oh, I'll stop my head here. Ah, Newtown and Cronulla. Well, there you go. I got that completely wrong. But yeah, he who? played three. He played three tests. Graham Wilson played three tests for Australia in nineteen sixty-three, sixty-four. Who do you think is the best rugby league family of all time? Ooh, Are we talking generation wise. So, you know, father, well, grandfather, that sort of thing. Well, okay, so let's let's put it this way. So, like, immediately you think of the Walters boys, right? The they would have to be in there as well. So say you've got three, I mean, that's three rep players right there. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I, I guess, 
yeah, it's just overall. So it could be generational thing, but just overall, who do you think's the best rugby league family? It's hard to go past the Mortimers, really. Steve and Chris both played Chris, yeah. both played Test footy. Did yeah. Peter play Test? Um, no, he played for New South Wales though. So it was Chris, Peter, Steve, and Glenn Mortimer, and their son was Daniel. Oh yeah, and Daniel. I mean, Daniel was a handy player. Yeah, it wasn't a rep player, but he was a twenty NRL player. games. No, yeah. played over in played for Lee as well. It's uh, yeah, the Mortimers have tough to beat. Who else would there be? Who was it that Jack Elsgood was related to? Oh, that's a good question. Because there was uh, a like a real, real old school player he was related to. Yeah. Um. Um. Oh, it's on top of my, tip of my tongue. He, he, I think there was a book about him. Um, Frank Farrell. Okay. Frank Farrell was his grandfather. There you go. That's a pretty good one because uh, Frank Farrell played Test footy for two for Australia. Yeah. Yeah, he was like he was one where it's always interesting when um, it, it feels like it's sometimes it skips a generation. Hey, yeah, uh, Steve Menzies is a good one in that as well because his grandfather was Mackie Campbell, but his father didn't play. Who was Mackie Campbell? I've never heard of Mackie Campbell. He played for Manly in their debut season. Oh, there you go. That's a good one, yeah. He only played a handful of games. But he only played for the one year that I know of. I wonder if in this day and age it'll be easier for, like, uh, the sons of players to be as good as their dads. Because I guess to a certain extent, like, you go back enough generations of... And I'm talking rugby league generations here of players... um, you know, if if you were the son of a really good player, you just went to the system. Whereas now, because there's so much special, specialised training and stuff that are, uh, elite rugby league players get, you, you're going to have a leg up on yeah. just the, your regular junior players. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Um, one other family, mm-hmm. not so much fully engrossed in, in rugby league, but um, Edward War. Mm-hmm. He's the grandfather of Stephen Markwar. All right. He played for the far north coast in the northern division just before World War Two started. Oh wow! Uh, he was a fullback. I thought you were going to say Canterbury, hey? Because they were Canterbury fans, weren't they? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was that's another one. I think there was another one. Um, Jack and Ray Lindwell both played for St. George too. And That's Ray Lindwell went on to be a test test cricketer for Australia. Yeah. Here's a question for you. Yeah. Who do you think is the best player? And when I say this, I mean played their best football, not just the best player that's ever played there. Who is the best who has played their best football for a Gold Coast team? So going back to the the Gold Coast Giants right the way through to the Titans, who you reckon's been the best footy player that they've had? Because Wally Lewis played there, but he didn't play his best football there. Ooh. Um, 
like okay. Preston Campbell has to be in the conversation, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, he's he's definitely in the conversation. God, that, that's a damn good one. That Jamie a few, Goddard. Yeah, He'd that a few a few tough forwards in the early days. Um, Brett Horsnell. Chris Close um, played for them, but I think that was the very end of his career. Yeah, that was at the very tail of his career there. Um, Mike Eden was another very talented footballer who played there in the in their first season. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very nearly went on the I think the eighty two kangaroo tour to, to England. Oh, really? Very close to going on that. Um, who else was there? Wayne Bartram, I guess. Oh, I can't remember Wayne. Oh, did Wayne Actually, Bartram play ninety about ninety two, ninety three? Um, ninety one. Yeah, I think I yeah. had a footy card of Wayne Bartram in a in a Seagulls jersey. Yeah, no, he was there. Uh, Billy Johnston was another one who was probably at the top of his career when he was playing for the oh, really? Gold Coast. Um, Scott Sattler played for him. Jeremy yeah. Schloss, <laughs> the famous one. Famous one. Um, Kevin Campion. Oh, yeah, Campion, he was a pretty handy player when he was still there. Graham Mackay. It's interesting, though, like how many of them could you say had their best year on the Gold Coast? The only one I can really think of out of all of those players is Jamie Goddard. Yeah. Um, Actually, Dale Shearer was in pretty good nick when he played there. He still played test footy while there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, and I forgot he played for them, hey? That's, that's going to be pretty much it, though, I think. Yeah, that's, that's a weird have, one. They did have plenty of good players, but they just they never gelled. Well, it feels like they're just too much of a transit lounge. And, that, like, I guess at some point they've always, you know, if they've had a good player, they're like a really good player that looked like they were going somewhere, they either lost them for whatever reason, and there's been a bunch of different reasons, or they got players that were at the end of their careers and wanted to almost, you know, semi-retire to the Gold Coast. Yeah. I mean, when you consider that they existed from, was it, 88 to 98, 99? Yeah. They only had 22 players reach 50 games at the club. That's craziness. And none of them reached 100 for the club. Yeah. Just madness. It really is. So um, your turn to pick a player. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to pick a couple of players, right? Go for In it. In the late 1990s, I loved the back row of the Parramatta Eels because you had Jared McCracken, who was probably at the best of his whole career. You had Dean Pay, You had Jim Dimmick. And they were just crack teams. And I used to love that. I used to love that every so often Parramatta would put on a game where those three would just go out and just bash the opposition. I loved it. I love that sort of football. I love it when there's a competition where it's like, oh, who's going to win? Who's going to win? But then one team turns it on. And I think that's why I loved the entire 2003 season because – the the Sydney Roosters played a little bit like that as well. Like, they would just bash teams. And then the Panthers, 
they wouldn't bash teams, but they were like, well, you're not going to bash us out of the contest. We're going to run all day, and you can hit us as hard as you want. We're going to keep running at you. And that's why they were the, the Roosters bogey team that year. Um, but I, I love that Parramatta Eels. It was just, it was like a throwback to like, you know, we might not be the better footy team, but it doesn't matter because by the end of the game, you just won't want to be out there. So that, that to me, and I love Jared McCracken, especially towards the end of his career when he was in the back row. Man, he was a good player. He was a tough player too. Oh, he was, yeah. Um, he, God, he made a world of difference at the West Tigers when he went over there too. Yeah, he was he was actually one of their decent signings. Yeah. Yeah, but, remember they spent all that money and he was actually probably the one that was a really good signing. It's a shame yeah. the way his career ended, unfortunately. Yeah, Melbourne Storm illegal tackles. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they were sitting in second place on the ladder when he got injured. No, oh, in 2000. Really? Yeah. Oh, he got yeah. injured and they fell all the way down out of the top eight. That's crazy. Yeah, and that was the storm. worst spear tackle I think I've ever seen. Huh? It was horrid. It was horrid. He was a foot off the ground when they drove him into the ground. Mm. It was bad. Yeah. Ugly. Yeah. Um, speaking of players who got injured badly, mm. Uh, mm. Simon Dwyer. Yeah. Man, that bloke could hit. And I'm not just talking about that. the one hit everyone knows of him hitting Jabaria Hargrove. Possibly... A little high. <laughs> a little high. <laughs> he nearly <laughs> killed him. God, that was a sweet hit. That was a, and it was a moment too. That was a mo- like, it wasn't just the hit. It was the moment of like they needed something, and all of a sudden, Jared Warrior Hargraves gets just blasted by God. <laughs> oh God, he just got poleaxed. He really did. Um, and another one I'll throw in there from that same period, was Taniela Tuiaki. Yes. And that, he was a beast of a winger. He really was, and got that ankle injury that just, for whatever reason, didn't heal up properly. Um, Cut his career very short. But, yeah, he was, I mean, he would have been considered, I think if he'd been able to play his whole career, he would have been considered as, like, one of the elite wingers from the last 20 years. He was oh. incredible. He was so tough. Insane. Insane. He was just he was the first pick team player you'd have in that team, even though it had Benji Marshall and Robbie Farrer in it at their peaks of their career. You'd always put Tuiaki in there first because you just needed he was an absolute weapon. He really was. And it, like also in an era where a lot of teams were trying to find wingers that could do forward work for you. You know? Mm. He was the best of them, I reckon. Oh, yeah. God, he was a huge unit. He was about 105 kilos or something like that. Had yeah. good speed on him, a good leap on him, and could do bloody second-row hit-ups for you. I wonder if now whether they would be able to get him back on the field. Like, I wonder if if there was... Like, if say he did that injury now, um, if there would be something different they could do or if it was just bad luck, you know? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a good question. It's um, yeah, just looking at his record now. Only played for four seasons. Wow, that's crazy. Damn, um, phenomenal player. Yeah, he he really really was. He's probably, I mean, he's 
is between him and Pat Rich's best winger of all time. <laughs> 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 oh. Oh, you got to throw in John Wilson. Yeah, well, you know. He's in there. You always um, have to throw in John Wilson. Um, Ahmed Bajuri. <laughs> oh, man, I haven't heard that name since he played. What else can we throw in there? Nick Bradley Kualalawa. Oh, yeah. NBQ. Bo Ryan. Oh. <laughs> How dare you. Sorry, I had to. <laughs> Come on, I was, I was using some dignity with those names there. You just had to take it to the gutter, didn't you? <laughs> when it's a step down from Nick Bradley Galilauer <laughs> to Bo Ryan, it's like, man, that wasn't, that wasn't good. Um, okay, player I'd love to talk about. I, I'd have him in my top 20 players of all time, and it might be a little bit controversial. Matthew Bowen. Matthew um, Bowen. Why controversial? Yeah. I think that I think he was underappreciated in a lot of ways. I mean, his his attacking game and his footwork was sensational. His positioning at fullback was amazing. Um, I think that his skill levels were just underappreciated because they were maybe overshadowed by the fact that his footwork, especially early on in his career, his footwork was maybe the best I've seen ever on a rugby league field. Like he was. You go and look up some of the um, highlights of him on on YouTube. Just an amazing player. Um, and, yeah, he was always one of my favourite players. Fantastic. And I feel like he's going to be one of those players that gets forgotten a little bit. And then one day people will, like, find his, you know, his highlight reel and they'll be like, why have we not heard about this dude? Because he was something else. I oh, certainly was. Um, my next one is Nathan Blacklock. Oh yeah, wow! Right, he he reminded me a lot of the a lot of the wingers we had in the eighties and nineties who were just absolute speed merchants mm-hmm. and could sniff out an intercept mm-hmm. and loved a long range try. I would have loved to have seen a game where Steve Ranoff and Nathan Blacklock were side by side on the same on the same team. Man, I can't even imagine that. That would have been ridiculous. Just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, I actually, I genuinely enjoyed watching Nathan Blacklock play and mm. always wanted to see him play Origin and Test footy and just thought he deserved all those honours. He was just phenomenal winger. Yeah, it, that, that year he got left out of the New South Wales side, it was... I thought it was disgusting. Like, that's how bad it was. Mm. Um, he was the best winger in the game. And, and the thing I loved about him was he was a specialist winger. Yeah, like, he was a try scorer. And you give him just the slightest chance and he'd score. Yeah. He was, man. You think in from 1998 to 2001, okay, he played in 98, 22 games, scored 20 tries. 99, 26 games, 24 tries. 2000, 26 games, 25 tries. 2001, 28 games, 27 tries. Almost a try game. It's crazy. Like, especially in in the modern era, like the last 20, 30 years, Mm. um, to have those sorts of of numbers. That's why you look at someone like a, 
uh, semi rad radra. Like when you start scoring at about a try game, you're doing something that is historic. Yeah, absolutely. It just it, it's very rarely ever happened. Mm. Um, unbelievable. Um, and then he went over and played in England for for Hull FC for a few, well, I think, two seasons. Yeah, he switched to rugby union as well. Played for mm. the. He walked straight into the New South Wales rugby union team. Um, it was just really sad the way that all happened. Like, I don't understand why it happened that way. Um, you know, it makes you wonder sometimes, like, you know, I just don't understand how you look at his record at that time and no one could stop him. And you don't want that in the New South Wales team. It just didn't make any sense at all. Yeah. The thing he brought up, brought up a hundred tries in his career in just six seasons at the Dragons. Man. That's nuts. That really is. Wow. And he did those all those backflips and stuff when he'd scored tries. Like, and he loved the game. You could see he really enjoyed it. Oh yeah, yeah. He was, and because it was because he was so just damn good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He was fantastic. So who you who have you got next? Um, a Newcastle player, an, an old school Newcastle player, and it's someone. Oh, I consider... Matthew Johns. No, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Sargent, just a a real solid, no-nonsense, you know, captain of the club and was just everything Newcastle, about Newcastle um, in the early days. And once again, it's a bit bit of a shame that he wasn't around still in 97 when they they won their premiership. But, uh, man, no one's more of a Newcastle knight than him. No, that's true. Except maybe he was Paul Harrigan, but they're, I mean they're around there, aren't they? Yeah, well, like you think of him and Mark Sargent, and then I guess like I know he started at Penrith, but Tony Butterfield's another one that just you know epitomised what the the Knights were about early on in their their time in the New South Wales Rugby League. Even when the Knights weren't a good team, they always had a good forward pack, like just yeah. always, always tough. They were always going to make you play well to beat them. And uh, Mark Sargent was just one of those players that it was just, you knew what you were getting out of him every single game. And it was just such a steady performance. And I I always loved watching him play. It was a real shame when he retired. Yeah, uh, he was tough, just tough. Man. Mm. Those forwards who played in the front row, in the in the especially in the 80s. Mm-hmm. You got found out pretty early. If you weren't tough, you were going to get absolutely poleaxed. Mm-hmm. You weren't going to last long. Who were some of those other early nights players? Like, not so much like super early, but like Robbie. Remember Robbie McCormack? Yeah, there was also um, Mark Lanville. Yeah, he was a good player. Um, uh, Sam Stewart, Kiwi. Oh, he was there in the very first season, man. Whew. You wouldn't want to run to him anywhere when he's in a bad mood. He'd destroy you. God, he was a what, unit. What do you reckon it was about... I mean, obviously there would have been a element of these players coming out of their local Newcastle competition for a lot of them. But what do you think it was about the Knights that 
they really did. They, I mean, they come out and they had a a very good forward pack straight away, and they just carried it forward right through to that grand final victory. You still saw they had a similar sort of forward pack. Do you think it was just a case of the Newcastle competition produced them, or? Yeah, I think so. I think that was the good thing about the Broncos and the Knights when they came in, is they did pretty much rely heavily on the local competition for their playing stocks. Yeah. Whereas the Gold Coast side had to had to buy players who they could find from other teams that had already been playing in the Sydney comp. Mm-hmm. They didn't rely so much on the local comp as the Broncos and the Knights did. And because of that, a lot of the players in Sydney didn't know who they were coming up against or how to, you know, how to play against them. Yeah. Um, so a lot of those players in the Broncos and the Knights team sort of took the Sydney sides by surprise a bit. But, uh, yeah, some of those forwards they had there, they've always had a pretty good pretty good run with forwards there, to be honest, up in Newcastle. Yeah, they. I mean, they produce them. They, like, they still do. They'll, you know, there's some clubs really struggle in that area, and Newcastle's never really been one of them, even when they've had really lean years, they've still been able to produce forwards that are, at the very least, solid performance. Absolutely. Um, My next one is going to be Ian Roberts. Man. Damn, he was a good player. Tough. I consider him to be in the top two English players of all time because he was born (laughs) in England. Him and Bob Fulton. Him and Bobby Fulton, absolutely. Um, man, he he, was, he probably came along as because he he did start in the eighties. Um, he probably came along as one of the first super fit professional athletes that we had in the game, like, alongside Wayne Pierce. Mark Guy was another classic example. Who, you know, they were forwards, but they weren't sort of somewhat tubby forwards. Yeah, they were built out of bloody granite. Yep. Um, man, he was. He was a tank. He really wasn't like tough, and it's interesting because, like, as an, a more athletic forward, um, he he had the mobility, obviously, but there was zero lost in the toughness department either, which was the thing that maybe, um, it, it probably was the thing that allowed him to get in the first grade as one of those forwards, like. To be an athletic forward, as you say, in that era where everyone was barrel-chested and, you know, all sort of built similar, to be built like he was, I guess you had to have that toughness. Mm. Um, Fantastic player. I think that the the ability he had will be something that people do forget about Um, and was a really good player right up until he retired. Yeah, like you got... Top top of the line performance from him from his first game all the way through his last one. There was no real dip in his mm. career. Uh, unbelievable player. It's interesting because those three players you said, Pierce, um, Roberts, and and Gaia, they if they had have played if they had made their like first grade debut fifteen years later, they would have probably ended up all having about forty tests under their belt. <laughs> Like, yeah, they they probably played in a little bit too early of an era for um, what they brought to the table. Oh, absolutely. And it was that whole changing of the guard, and it all happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. 
uh, it was pretty much the mid eighties to the very early nineties. You just saw the the more, as you said, barrel chested sort of forwards just get replaced with these absolute just rocks with legs. Yeah, and they just well, ran you... hard straight lines. They're unbelievable. Well, you think about say nineteen eighty five. Okay, and the teams we had running around then and what they looked like. And then you think of the Broncos teams that were winning premierships in two, like uh, 1992. Mm-hmm. Just, it, it, it could be, it probably looks like a 15-year difference between just the physical makeup of the teams. Mm. It's very Absolutely. strange how quick it happened. Yeah, I mean... I think the best gauge of it is to see how quickly Australia not only surpassed England, but how fast they got ahead of England in that yeah. short period. And it's worth noting, England weren't exactly garbage in 1990, either. No. That was still very, very strong and very much um, a competitive unit for Australia to come up against. But they weren't able to go that little bit extra. And they were constantly playing catch up with Australia from the mid eighties onwards. And that's that's kind of what happened, I think, is that Australia got onto that professionalism thing just that little bit sooner and jumped got the jump on them. And UK's been playing catch up ever since. And it was around that period. Yeah, definitely. Like and I guess the other thing is too, like you think of um the best the very best British players from say the early nineties. You're mostly thinking about their backs. You're not really thinking too much about their forwards. That's right. So, um, who have you got next? Um, It's worth noting, you haven't picked any centres or wingers or a hooker yet. I have been writing these down. No. I've been writing these down in sort of like little team things. So, that's really interesting. Okay, well... um, Neither of us have picked centres or a hooker. Really? Wow, mm. I, I didn't realise that. Well, oh man, I won't say. I was going to say Steve Renoff, but I, I, we talked about him the other a couple. Ah, of you can you can put him in there. I love Steve Renoff. When I was a kid, I used to get the ball under my arm and pretend I was Steve Renoff. I uh, actually wore a headgear because of Steve Renoff. And the thing I loved about him, his acceleration, um, the fact that like if you got him the ball and he had any space, it was over. It was yeah. already over. Didn't matter if it was, like, in his own try, you know, trial line. Didn't matter. It was done. They, they put the four points up. That's the thing that got me. He had a he had a great turn of speed. He had great explosion out of the first, like, five minutes, too. He could hit top speed, and he was gone. Um, he had a great fend. But the other thing I loved about him was that he always had an awareness of who his his support players were. And so when he would make a break, if the the defense was in position, if the fullback was covering him pretty well, it was still a try because he he always knew who was around him. Um, You know, he is just... When I think of, like, strike centers and attacking centers and stuff... I would suggest that in the whole history of the game, Steve Renoff is at the like very, very least top five. And I think you're going to be hard-pressed to say he's not in the top two. I think probably if I had to pick top two of all time, I'd probably say Reg Gaznier and him. Yeah, he's for me, he's definitely inside that, that uh, top 
I'll say top five or six. Mm-hmm. It's it's very crowded. Australia's been very very blessed with with centres, and most of them have been um, since the seventies. Mm-hmm. But um, he was phenomenal. You know, he was the one player. Every time you come up against the Broncos, your team come up against him, you're like, ah, they've got Steve Rinoff in their side. <laughs> you just knew yeah. he was going to get at least one or two tries. Yeah, and like, and it was like. Of all of the stars the Broncos had, I always felt like he was the one that I was the most excited about. Yep. Because, you know, all the other players, they worked towards what he finished off. You know, they were all getting into the position to get run off the ball and watch him do what he does. That that was always the thing for me. And, you know, I just, I absolutely loved watching him play, man. And to think that we had a centre combination of him and Mal Meninga for some point time yeah. at, at like not only Queensland, but at international level. Oh man, that's so unfair. And a combination of test level where you had Andrew Reddinghausen outside him. Ah, oh, that's craziness. It's, it's really just, crazy. It's just not fair. It really is. It's interesting because you kind of feel as though over rugby league's history, you feel as though that players should improve. And that, like the team, like the team from, say today, should be five years better than the team that was from five years ago, stuff like that. But then there's just eras where you produce these. I don't even know what you'd call them, like an explosive hand grenade of talent, like Steve Renoff, where that sort of thing, all bets are off. Like you look at a Talmalolo now, like that's a all-time great that you're looking at. And it's not he's not five years better than five years ago. He's not ten like he is just the best, the elite. And sometimes the game puts out a player like that and you're just like, Wow, how lucky are we to have players like this in rugby league? Absolutely. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna bring out two names here. Okay. Just to catch up with you because I'm falling behind a little bit. Yeah. Um both forwards. Paul Rohihi and Ali Lawatiti. Yes. Man. We and this is the thing, Australians didn't get to see the best of Ali Lauatiti. I think there was some sort of you know, internal personal drama at the Warriors, and he left and went over to England for several years, just as he mm-hmm. was hitting his peak in Australia in the NRL. Mm-hmm. But man, he was a phenomenal back rower. Uh could also play a front row as well, but Jesus Christ. I love watching him play. He was he was just unstoppable. He really and, was. And poor Rahiki, I reckon he must have gone very close to winning a Dalian medal. Um, the thing about Paul Rahiki, he was, apart from the fact he was an absolute giant, like he had that mobility as well. And it's something that, like, a dude his size shouldn't have had, that sort of mobility. Um, I loved watching both of them play. Like, there were different players. Uh, Ali Lautiti, the thing I liked about him was... Like, he could palm the ball, you know, yeah. and do it so easily. Yeah. Um, players, not very many players were doing that when he started doing that. He had a pretty good offload. I think he he really struggled in terms of, I think he was poorly coached for most of his career in the NRL. And I think that he probably didn't have the sort of training you would like to, him to have got. But absolutely sensational player. And, yeah, those two... Like, they were a real um, 
almost a change of the guard in New Zealand Rugby League as well and their test team. I know that they weren't quite around when they won the World Cup, but they, they were definitely a step in the right direction towards winning the World Cup. I, bro, he, I mean, he, I'm pretty sure it was 2004. Um, absolutely stunning season. Mm-hmm. I think he was the, he's Delian proper of the year that year. I'll have to check. It was, he was, I remember thinking that he had to have been a chance of being the, the player of the year. He was so good all year long. Mm-hmm. Um, just two unbelievable players. Uh, and definitely, definitely enjoyed watching those two play. Yeah, I'd loved. I used to love watching the Warriors play. It's such a shame that they're just so frustrating to watch now, although I do like watching them play just to watch RTS, who, once again, I consider him to be an all-time great. Um, I think if RTS was in an Australian club and doing what he's doing right now, um, man, he, he'd probably be the Dalian player every year. Like, that's <laughs> how good I think he is. Yeah. So what positions have I not picked a player in? Like, I know we weren't right. doing this by position, but... It just sort of happened. Um, so we neither of us have picked a hooker yet. Okay. Um, you haven't picked any wingers, and you're still missing a centre. Okay. Uh, who's a hooker that... <sighs> Man, I'd, I'd really love Luke Prudis. I, I think we talked about... Did we talk about this on the podcast, or...? Yeah, we did. Did we? Yeah, Luke yeah. Prudis when we got him. Um, who's another good hooker that jumps out at me? You know, it. You know what's really interesting to me is that I think Danny Badiris was the best hooker of all time in terms of um his skill set, his toughness, his defence, and his attack. And I think that he is going to go a little bit missing because immediately behind him was Cameron Smith. Yeah, you know, and, I I was going to say Danny Badiris for the exact same reasons. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he was, sort he of was come a warrior after, in defense. Oh, yeah. He came along after, you know, the legacy that Steve Walters left behind. Mm-hmm. Badiris was right behind him. And then just as Badiris was, you know, in the, the top end of his career coming into the tail of his career, he had the likes of Robbie Farrer and Cameron Smith come along. And mostly, obviously, most majority of it is Cameron Smith has kind of made people forget about how good Danny Baderas was. Yeah, and do you remember he had, and like, you know, he really did get a lot of football into him. Like he, and he didn't miss games. He wasn't injury prone or anything. But remember he had that season where he said, look, I've got to take this off season off. And Cameron Smith stepped into that Australian jersey, and Danny Badiris never played for Australia again, never got it back. That was um, was that two thousand and six seven. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was around then. And I remember when it happened. I I felt like it was a mistake by Badiris. I understood it, but I really did think it was a mistake. And yeah, I think the fact that you had that change of the guard, and that the, also the fact that like. The way that the hooker position had changed over the previous 20 years leading up to, like, Badiris was was like the culmination of all of these great players that had just come before him, as you yeah. said. like, And then 
it was like the next evolution in a Cameron Smith was straight after him. It makes you wonder who is the next one? Who is it that Cameron Smith is, you know, is Cameron Smith going to be able to come against up against the next guy who is the next great hooker in the game? Well, I mean, the, the moment the next best hooker is, uh, um, I suppose, is Damian Cook. And he's a completely different unit altogether because... He's got something we've not seen any hooker have before, and that is blistering speed out of dummy half. Mm. And it's just it's changing the role once again. Uh, he is so fast out of dummy half. It's ridiculous. Little you know, known fact, Andrew. Little known fact. Ooh, you've got a fact? i got a fact. Oh, hit me with Damien, your fact. Damien Cook. He used to go to the beach a lot. No, oh, yeah. 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 That's all I got. He just liked the beach. Oh, he's a beach. He's a beach. He's a beach goer. Yeah, yeah. Ah, is there any beaches at Redfern? <laughs> no, no, there's no. not. Uh, that, Have that's you why been he... to Redfern? I've been to the train station there. That uh, that's the only place I've been is the train station. I have walked along the street once. Yeah. Yeah, that was um, that was late at night. Oh really? And there was a fire bucket in the on an intersection. Fire bucket. Yeah, just a fire burning in a bucket. There was no one standing around it. That's just, random. Just, just a random fire in a bucket. And I went, you know what? I don't think I want to be here anymore. <laughs> go back to the station and get back on the train and go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, I've I've, ne- I've literally never been to Redfern except a station. That's so weird, hey? Yeah, interesting place apparently. Um, who are we going to do next? Well, we so we kind of did our hookers, so um, that's what she said. Have we done wingers? Have you done wingers? Oh, yeah, you did Nathan I've, Blacklock, didn't you? I've got Blacklock and Tuiaki. I haven't done any centres yet, and I haven't got a 5.8 yet. Did I do a 5.8? Yeah, your first one was Steve Carter. That's right. Um, See, I'm I'm going to go with... My second favourite player of all time is 5'8", and that's Greg Alexander. Ooh. Because I think as a player, even when he was playing, he was underrated. Yeah. You think he only yeah. played a handful of Origin games, only a handful of tests. He did go on a kangaroo tour and was absolutely, you know, understandably fantastic. But it's just the amount of players who were playing at fullback and in the halves at the time that he came along... Talk about being sport for choice if you're a selector of, of rep teams. Mm. You know, he came along when you had fullbacks like Gary Belcher, Gary Jack, um, Paul Hoof at some stage as well. I mean, that's a, that's a throwback name if, if you ever hear one. <laughs> Dale Shearer, um, obviously Tim Brasher as well. Um, so there, there's five pretty good fullbacks there. And then you're looking at the likes in the halves of, you know, Wally Lewis, Des Hasler. Peter Sterling, Terry Lamb, <laughs> Alan Langer, like, Ricky Stewart, Stewart, Laurie Daly. <laughs> uh, just how do you compete? And, and he still managed to get some test honours and some origin appearances in there, despite all of that competition in three key positions. That he, And he, he mastered all three of them. Yeah, and I think the other thing that went, I mean, apart from his versatility, that the fact that he was versatile, it, it probably went against him a little bit in some sense. But I also think that 
when you look at those eras and we as a nation by then we understood that what state of origin had become it had become this i mean this other thing you know mm. and we knew that if we picked out of state of origin and who performed in the origin arena that we would have a test side that was going to be bloody hard to beat and you look at some of the combinations so if you look at the halves like you're talking about like langer and lewis or for New South Wales, you might have been talking about like Stuart and Daly. Mm. It's going to be hard to break those sorts of things up. Um, and and I, you, think that I think that worked I against him too. Carter and Alexander, though. Oh, jeez, oh. man. And again, often overlooked halves pairing, but you can't tell me they weren't one of the top three or four best halves pairings of the very late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, I mean, they won a premiership together and they made two grand finals together. Yeah. If uh, they, I mean, can you imagine them as a halves combo right now? That would be ridiculous. They were, they were unbelievable. And, and Brandy, funny, did, Brandy had sorry. a pretty big step for a small guy. Yeah. And good, good speed off the step. When you throw in the fact that he, he had someone like Brad Fittler running off him. Ugh. That Panther side of 1990, 91, my God. The more you look at it, like, over time, the more that you realise why they were so good. Mm. Like, like all, and some players that didn't get the rep honours that they should have or, or just missed out because they were in an era of, you know, all-time greats, some of the all-time greats. But when it comes to talent, if you just look at talent, like, you look at a guy, one of the most talented giant second rowers of all time um man it, it was a bloody good side we were very lucky to have a team like that and you know the whole penrith region it really galvanized around that team and you know if it, it, it was really it's hard to explain unless you're in penrith at that time what that panthers team meant to the whole region and i i I was worried at one point that that had got away and had been lost when the Panthers went on some terrible runs and stuff like that. But I think it's it's still there on, at some level. Um, and I've always said this, like there's players in that though, that 90-91 team that could knock on a lot of doors in Penrith right now and they would be welcomed in for dinner and they would be the guest of honour out of the blue because <laughs> those people... There's people in those teams that, you know, people in the certain people in the Penrith area would consider family, quite honestly. Like, they were a very special team. Absolutely, they were. Okay, so you've got to give us... See if you can give us a winger next. Oh, man, I don't... I'm not going to go with some obvious choices. You know what? I think people forget how good a winger Robbie Beckett was for the Panthers. Oh, man. Speedy as hell. He really was. He was very, very quick, very handy winger. Um, Unfortunate to play in an era for the Panthers where they just weren't that good. But, yeah, he was a fantastic, like, finisher. Um, And as you say, just, oh, man, he was quick. Like, at his best, no one was catching him. He was a great, great winger. And I think that, unfortunately, most people will forget about how good a player he was. 
Um, probably a fringe New South Wales player. He never, never really got a chance to from memory. But, yeah, really good winger. Certainly was. Um, I've got to pick a centre or two. The crazy thing is I just thought of a really good lock. I'm going to say the lock anyway. Okay. Yeah. Um, we'll just have to go with the bench. Brad Mackay. Yes. And at a time when we had a whole heap of lock forwards that came along that were solid. You know, you have Wayne Pierce, Bradley Clyde, those sort of players. They were they were your benchmark lock forwards. Brad Mackay came along and he looked like a winger. Yeah. And he did man. not look like a forward at all. No. He did not have the size, the build for it, anything like that. But, man, he was a rock-solid defender, and he ran some sweet lines. Mm-hmm. Um, it's no surprise he ended up playing test footy for Australia as well. Just unbelievable how he got so much um, top-level footy out of that frame. Still mm-hmm. baffles me today. I don't know how he did it. And there was a while there for New South Wales. It was like, oh, yeah, Brad Mackay, one of the first picked. Like, that's yeah. how good he was. Oh, he was just unbelievable. I I feel like there's a little bit of... He probably ran into a little bit of the same thing that Alexander did, but not quite to the same extent, where he just... He come through at a time when there were so many other good back rowers and locks. Like, he was a lock. This is back when it just wasn't back rowers. A lock was a lock. Um... And, like, I mean, you know, just being in the same era as Bradley Clyde. Yeah. Like, oh. and Clyde was one of the best players in the world during Brad Mackay's career. Yeah, absolutely. And Mackay was still able to unseat him for a few tests. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. One of the few players to win a um, Clive Churchill medal on a losing team as well. Him, Bradley Clyde, won it in 91, and... Is there another one? One in the 2000s. Oh, um, last year. What's his name? No, there's another one as well. Oh, was there? Yeah, there's one in the early 2000s, I think. I can't remember that one. I thought there was only three. I'm sure there's another one. I can't remember. (laughs) Man, I can't remember the Canberra Raiders 5-8's name. What's his name? Jack White. It's been so long since we've had any football. I know. <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait for it to be back. It's going to be so good. Um, wingers. All right. Let me have a think here. A really good winger. Sean Hoppy. No. Um... <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Uh... This is now where you say Daryl Halligan. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going to try and think of an actual good player. Not that Halligan was underrated, I felt like. He he didn't screw it up for you on the wing, and his goal kicking was, I think, I still consider him the best goal kicker of all time. But um, You are forgetting Eon Crossan. Eon Crossan. Jill Karen. Oh. There we go. There's some guns. Yeah. Um... Who would be a winger that's... You know what? Martin Elfia. I, I have to talk about him again. I don't think people realise 
how big of a superstar he was. Um, I don't... The, the last player mm-hmm. to score 10 tries in one game. Yeah. And, like, his try-scoring record is the sort of record that you normally see out of, like, the 20s and 30s and 40s. Like, it, it just seems like somebody made an error somewhere. Here you go. Because... He scored 444 tries... From 424 games at club level. So he finished so, with 20, ga- 20 tries more than games. Then you throw in the fact that he scored 34 tries in 38 games for England and Great Britain. Yeah. And did it against... Like, there's been a lot of British players that did very well at club in club football over there. And then when they come to test level, they don't do it. He still did it. Yeah, that was that was the thing about him. Um, if he if you're level with him, it's over. He's scoring under the black dot, running away from you, and you're not near him. Um, and let's be I honest, think... that that sprint that went on in what was it 1990 in Australia between him and Lee Odenrein. Lee Odenrein. Let's be honest, Odenrein had a false start. Well. I don't. I don't know if I should say. I, I've, I've heard that a lot of people did very well out of that race. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a fire would have been the odds-on favourite to win. Yeah, yeah. It, how disappointed was everyone when he didn't? Like everyone <laughs> wanted him to win. Everyone just wanted. It was a confirmation thing. And then Lee and Ryan. Fucks it up. <laughs> <laughs> All you have to do yeah. is pull a hammy with like three meters to go, Lee. You would have been fine. Yeah, just take a dive, just something. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, he he was. You know what? The other thing about chariots w- was the thing of like, how fast are you with footy boots on and a ball under your arm? Because I think that gets lost a, a lot of times when we talk about. Um, track times for rugby league players. I don't think it lines up with how good you run with footy boots on and a ball under your arm because that's something different. That's a different skill. And I know you've got to be quick to begin with, but, man, I would take chariots over anybody in the game's history in that circumstance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, man, he was he was amazing. He still, to me, is like... If if somebody said, "What is the what is the perfect winger? What is the what is what you want out of a winger in rugby league?" It's just him. Like I just say that guy there, because he was just everything you want out of a winger. Oh, he certainly was. There's no doubt about that. Um, my next one is one of the centres, and this is probably going to throw you a bit, but I did enjoy watching him play, and it's Brett Rodwell. Ah, yeah. Former Illawarra player, played for the Panthers. Um, man, I thought he was horribly underrated for his career. Great, yeah, he, great he was a fringe. He was a fringe New South Wales player for sure. Mm, yeah. Um, could play pretty much anywhere in the back line, but was, was definitely at his best at centre. Mm-hmm. Played, I think he played one origin in 95. 
Um, but man, he he deserved more honours than that. Very, very good footballer. Very solid. Very reliable. Yeah, and remember that um, Illawarra team? They had him and Mary McGregor out in the centres of fantastic centre pairing. And yeah. I feel like that Rodwell was just unlucky. Like he'd be a he'd be a probably a Test player now. Um, he definitely go close because um, it was around a, a period of time too when you had that period of transition when Steve Renoff and Mel Meninga had sort of retired mm-hmm. and we had these players sort of lining up and we could have put pretty much anyone at centre mm-hmm. and he's just sort of always thereabouts in the conversation but didn't quite get picked all the time. Yeah. Well, like, who, I mean, after, say, Meninga retired like i mean you're even thinking of who who could you have played in the centers and i'm talking about rep footy now so you could have had fitler daily uh mary mcgregor who else Renoff, Renoff, Renoff. i think i think darren smith might have even got a run there yeah he would have been around that time um can't think of anyone else who might have been there ryan girdler I think that was a bit early for him. It might have been, yeah. Yeah. But it was yeah. just like like you, just those five players there. And as you say, it just felt like he he just was the one that missed out, unfortunately. Yeah. Always there and about. So we've mm. both got a centre each to pick. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, who's a centre? Um, well, I'm going to say Ryan Girdler. Fair enough. I think Ryan Girdler was highly underrated during his career. I watched um, his entire career for the Panthers. Um, fantastic goal kicker. I think he was a very skilled player. Probably was just under skilled to play 5'8", but he, he was near to that sort of skill level. Um, you know, he was called the intercept king, and he really was very good at intercepts. He's his defence improved as his career went on. I think by the end of his career, his defence was fine. Um, it's awesome that he has that, that he equaled the record for the most points for New South Wales with uh, Daly Messenger, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and just, it was fantastic to see him. He of, of all of those Panthers players that won a premiership, man, no one really deserved it more than Ryan Girdler. And it was just so good to see him get that victory. And, you know, I, I think that he'll be a little bit forgotten as well, but a fantastic player. And I'm so happy that he's a Panthers player, really likable player as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I just like the fact that he was a, just a genuine point scorer. And not mm-hmm. just, he wasn't just in the side because he could kick goals like a Daryl Halligan or a Jason Taylor. No. Like he was a genuine try-scoring threat as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love that. You don't get to see genuine point scorers come along. Latrell Mitchell's another example. You know you're going to get see see them score a ton of points. And yeah, it's just sort of they're just rare sort of players. That's I always like that about him. Um, I'm going to pick for my last one. Dale Shearer at centre. Dale Shearer. Yeah. You know, think, he's, uh, I've heard that he's available to play for Queensland this year. And he'd probably do a pretty good job. 
let's be honest, Dale Shearer is just one of those blokes who could look like he was playing like a busted ass at club level. Yeah. You put a put a rep jumper on him and he'll get man of the match every damn time. Yeah, it was ridiculous. He's just one like, of those blokes who was just all clutch. Yeah. Um just phenomenal player. Very versatile, played for a ton of clubs, um, always gave you his everything. Had had a good bit of toe about him too in the early part of his career. Um just an unbelievable player. I and mean, you think some of the players who he beat into test sides like in the early 90s yeah he beat um brasher jack and belcher to be to be fullback mm-hmm. in a few tests just man that's a pretty bloody good trio there to get through you know the thing i liked about him is he he kind of looked like what he was who was just this queenslander that was a bloody good footy player he wasn't I mean, he was an, a, a great athlete, obviously, but he wasn't like... Um, he, what the hell just happened then? don't know. I don't know. My, my uh, Xbox just made a noise. But, uh, yeah, he was just a, such a fantastic player. And, um, like, he was a bit skinny for the, <laughs> when you look at, the like, the other players he was up against. It was just an interesting sort of thing. This guy walk on and you'd be like, man, who's this guy? And he was, as you said, every t- every time in rep level, he was outstanding. Oh, he was. Um, just a fantastic player. Absolutely love watching him play. All right. You need to pick three bench players. I've got to pick two. I just spilled beer everywhere, by the way. Nice. <laughs> just just lick so it I've off got the table. Yeah. I should, eh? Um yeah. So I've got to pick how many bench players? Three. Three. Yeah. Um, who's another player that stood out for me? I t- okay, one that was mentioned the other day that was brought up, and I can't even remember why it was brought up, um, but Scott Goulet. Like oh, yeah. Former, former rugby union player. I think he played yeah. a couple of games for New South Wales, not too many. Yeah, he even went on the 1991 Kangaroo Tour to Papua New Guinea. There we go. I think he'll be one of those players, because when I saw his name come up, I thought he might be one of those players that just gets forgotten about a little bit, you know? Um, And part of that early 90s Dragons team that was very, very good and very unlucky not to win a premiership. Uh, Brian Brian Smith coached uh, Dragons team. Damn, they were a good team. They were a really good team. Um. And, yeah, very big dude. Like, he would be a big dude even by today's standards. Um, and, yeah, he just – he come up in the media the other day, and I can't remember why it was. But I was like, oh, yeah, Scott Goulet. We'll have to talk about him on the podcast. So now we got a chance. We have. And his father was uh, Robin Goulet, who played for the Dragons in the mid-'60s. Oh, nice. And he was a former Ireland Rugby Union international player before he moved to Rugby League. I didn't know that. There you go. Another great family there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it really would be interesting to to sort out who's the best rugby league family. Um, who's another interesting player? Um, hmm. I'm going to put one in for, um, for sentimental sake only. Okay. Darren Centre. 
Yes. Definitely. Um, nicknamed Hollywood, just mm-hmm. because he had an absolute killer smile. <laughs> um, one of the last players we had in the game who could play hooker and back row. Like, you don't get players do that anymore. And he just like, had that build, he could do that. Yeah, and he was the heart and soul of that. Um, oh, well, he was the heart and soul of the Balmain team just before they did the merger and the heart mm. and soul of the West Tigers after the merger. Um, didn't play too many years after the merger. Um, just was the time in his career. But, yeah, he uh, he was one of those players. I'd love to talk to Darren Center. I think it would be interesting to find out what it was like when the merger happened and what his last, you know, couple of years at the West at the uh, Balmain, Balmain Tigers were like. Yeah, absolutely. He um, was a player I always loved watching. Actually, he was like, he's good value. Probably could have played for New South Wales if it was a different era. Like he kind of ran into the Danny Badiris sort of era. He was not as skilled as Badiris. He was more of an older school sort of. Yeah, he's more of a, a workhorse sort of bloke. He yeah. wasn't much of a playmaker, but um, yes, if, if he was to play for New he would have been like a bench utility who could come on, play a bit of back row or something like that, or, or at lock. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just gave 150% everybody a week. God, he was he's just, you know, wholehearted sort of player. Very passionate about the game too. Yeah, he really was. Like, in it... Um... I always felt like Robbie Farrett picked up the torch from him a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Like, there was there was something nice about that, especially when, and I know you don't like him, but there was a feeling of, like, uh, Benny Elias, you know, he he was a very good player for the Balmain Tigers, and then the next good hooker they had was Darren Center, and then uh, Robbie Farrett picked up from him. I kind of like it when there's a... Uh, the torch gets passed like that. There's something about yeah. it I find special. No, I agree. That That's always something pretty good. A player I want to bring up, Andrew Leeds. You know what's funny is I was thinking about mentioning him earlier. Really? Yeah. Former, I believe he played uh, rugby union. Yes. But was a, a leaguey from memory. Correct, um, yes. And... He played for... I remember him playing for the Magpies, unfortunately. <laughs> Andrew. Um, well, he I, played I, for uh, 14 tests for Australia. There you go. Uh, that was in Rugby Union between yeah. 86 and 88. Yeah. And then came to the league in 89, played for Parramatta for three years, played for Penrith in 92, mm-hmm. and played for West from 93 to 99. Yeah, and it was like... He just seemed to be one of those professionals, you know, even at the, in the West team that was, and look, when he was at West, they were, and we've talked about it before, one of the historically bad teams. Um, but he was always just one of those guys that seemed like a professional and probably could have taught a lot of players a lot about what it took to be a professional footy player. And I know he's involved in the game for quite a while afterwards. I believe he was uh, involved in the West Tigers for a number of years, maybe his trainer. I think he's still um, at the club as an assistant coach or something like that, or trainer, yeah, something along oh, those lines. Awesome. But, yeah, he yeah. was one of those players that was 
he was a bloody handy player. Like, he was a good player. He was very good. Pretty versatile, too. Played in the halves, played fullback. Yeah. Um, sort of went to Penrith at the right time because Greg Alexander, you know, was obviously had some personal stuff to deal with when he when Leeds turned up at Penrith, and so he sort of mm-hmm. filled that, that void pretty well there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got one. Mm-hmm. Ewan McGrady. See, now, I don't know. I, I know a little bit about him, but I don't remember him as a player. For me, he was... Jeez. Uh, there's a bit of Anthony Mundine about the way he played. He's sort of a bit of a jack-in-the-box sort of player. Um, mm-hmm. Very fast. Only had a short career in Sydney, but when he played there, he was... I mean, he blew the comp apart. Mm-hmm. Um, you think he got the Rothmans medal in 91, 92, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, very shy sort of guy, but he was an unbelievable player. Actually, probably more similar to Andrew Walker, player-wise. Oh, yeah. Um, another another great half. Just an absolute freak athlete. Good speed, good ball skills, um, brilliant passing game. Jeez, uh, he was a revelation when he turned up. I think if he had hung around a bit longer, he probably could have been seeing himself playing at least origin level anyway. Yeah. Because um, he was going to be up against the likes of Laurie Daly and, you know, Alan Langer and stuff like that at the peak of their careers. But he was he was up there with them when he was at his best. It's interesting. You mentioned Andrew Walker, and it reminded me of something I was thinking about the other day. Like, Andrew Walker had a boot on him. He could boot the ball. And I've always found it really interesting about there's certain players, and it's not a strength thing, but there's just certain players that they can kick a ball longer than anybody else. And, like, Fittler was like that. Braithen Nasta was like that. Ricky Stewart. Yeah, Ricky Stewart. It's There's something weird about... I had a friend at high school. He was the exact same. Like, I was pretty good at... We used to... And this, just tells you what era it was. Um, we used to practice doing spiral kicks. Oh, so you watched a lot of Pat Richards. Yeah, this is all Pat Richards. You know? <laughs> um, so we used to practice spiral kicks. And so I used to practice keeping a tight spiral on my kick and getting it spinning as quick as I could, but also having accuracy. And I had an all right boot on me, but it was all right. Yeah. And I had a friend who he just... It, I don't. I never understood what it was. He, the ball just. It seemed like there he was kicking it in a vacuum. You know, it's like that. All of the uh, wind resistance goes out the window, and there's just certain players that are like that. And Andrew uh, Andrew Walker was one of them, and it just reminded me of it when you mentioned his name because he had a boot on him. Oh yeah. He like, really can did. you think of a player now? that you could say, oh, yeah, when he kicks that ball, it it stays kicked? Um, not, not really, no. No, I can't either. We don't really have halves in, now that have got, like, a huge boot on them. Mm. And it's not really something that's needed that much. Um, but, yeah, he, he was definitely, yeah, he did have a, a boot on him, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, he was a handy player. He was a really good signing for uh, 
the there was the Sydney City Roosters at the time when they got him aboard, and then he I think because he, he come from Rugby Union and ended up going back to Rugby Union playing for the ACT I think from memory. Yeah, so is he you, up, Sorry, go on. Is he your last player? Or are you picking someone else? No, nah, he's a former Rugby Union player. He can get stuffed. Um, like Andrew Leeds and Scott Goulet. <laughs> they're different. They're my boys. <laughs> um, who's a, who's another? Didn't, didn't Martin O'Fire also play Rugby Union? Okay, well, listen, would you shut the fuck up? All right. <laughs> this is my team. I, I make the rules. Okay. Okay, there's a player, man, and it's it's like... He might be forgotten about a little bit. And I know I've mentioned him a couple of times on the podcast. Wes Patton. Wes Patton, no. For a magical three months, he was a bloody good player. A will-o'-the-wisp, as they call him. He was phenomenal. Very good attacking player. Not so much a defender. Very slight player, too. Probably, I feel like he... He probably opened people up to having somebody as slight as Preston Campbell getting a run in first grade. He was a little bit more slight than Preston Campbell, but uh, he was tiny. He really was, really, really was. Like, you know, I mean, I'm, sorry. I was going to say, there's there's another few players that were similar build who I'm reminded of as well. There was one that played for Balmain and Illawarra called Will Robinson. Oh yes, jeez, uh, he was he was impressive too when he played. Similar sort of build, not not real big. West Patton though would have been one of the smallest players to play in the modern game. Yeah, the I, I'm pretty sure the smallest is uh, what's his name from Leeds, uh, Rob Burrow. Rob Burrow, yeah, who I think he's like five foot three or something, which is incredible. Um. But yeah, like Wes Patton was very, very skinny, uh, small player, very good attack and player like, and was one of those dudes that, you know, when he when he'd break through the line, it was like he was shot out of a cannon. And he played in some terrible South teams. Like that was South, the South teams that, you know, were playing into them getting kicked out of the competition. That's how bad they were. But yeah, he was one of those players that I always remember it from time to time and think, man, I wonder what he's doing now. I'll give you a rough idea. Mm. He's done a bit of acting. Oh, really? What's he acted in? He he had a guest role for, I think, one or two episodes on Home and Away in 1993. And he was in the Australian TV show Heartland as well. Oh, really? What year was that? Oh, God. <laughs> uh... Mid-90s, I guess. Far out, eh? All I can tell you is I know that... Um, I don't know this because the missus was telling me about it ages ago. Mm-hmm. Ernie Dingo and Kate Blanchett were in it. I feel like I remember the adverts, but I never watched it. Yeah. But I, I, never, I... Watched, I never watched those shows. Like, I never watched uh, Country Practice and stuff like that. Oh, mate, you were missing out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I did it on purpose. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that that's a pretty good list. We've actually named two full teams of possibly somewhat forgotten stars. How funny is that, hey? Well, I wouldn't like, even say forgotten. I'd just say um, not regularly thought of when they probably should be. I mean, these are absolute star players. Many of them played test footy. 
Yeah. It's crazy to think that test players can be forgotten. It really is. You know, I always think about that when you, you know, there'll, there'll be, like, remember we were watching that old test match. It was last year at, now when I think about it. I think it was a test match. Oh, I might have been watching it myself. Final. Yeah, you know what? It's a test match I was watching myself. Oh, sorry. Uh, you wouldn't, didn't invite me. I, well, I had you on my mind. That's why I thought we were watching it together. Um <laughs> I had my <laughs> had my Andrew Ferguson blob doll all set up next to me. Um, That's where that got to. Yeah, yeah. It's weird because lately I've had to take a lot of air out of it. It's like, man, like yeah, I keep on saying, as, "Where's your badonk donk?" You know, yeah, it's um, not as tubby as it once was. No, but but yeah, I uh, I watched the test match and it was a one from the seventies, and um, just all of the players that are in it that. Like they're test footballers, and if they were test footballers now, they, you know, it would be a completely different thing. But these are dudes that are walking around today, and they're, they're former test players. And like, I didn't even know who some of them were. It's interesting. Yeah, I know. We're definitely going to have to get around and watch, do some live shows on some of those old grand finals and stuff like that, because I think that's going to be pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it was like fun when we were watching that one. Who was it that we watched? St. George and Balmain in 66, I think it was. Oh, there you go. So um, many things to talk about for those games too. We've only got about two or three weeks before the season's supposed to start again, so we're going to have to pump those out pretty soon. Do we um do we do a another like pre-season sort of thing, a preview? Um. I mean, it's got to be pretty similar to the last one, really. Pretty much. Yeah. We could probably do one where we do the, the pre-season preview, which only takes about five minutes to go through. Just, you know, these are the following players who are, you know, whinging about having having a needle, and they're not going to be playing. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. could do that. I don't mind getting tattoos all over me, but I can't handle a needle. Well, you know, you got to pick and choose what you get pumped into you, don't you? Well, you've also got to pick and choose on what's morally acceptable for you and what's not. Yeah, that's true. That's we won't go any further down that path. <laughs> I just... Let's uh, just say, there's been a bit of hypocrisy in that area from some players. Just a little bit. Did you see my tweet today where I said, you know what they should do is give away a free Fortnite skin with everyone that gets a the uh, you know the flu shot? They'd have a 100% uptake rate. <laughs> It's good to see that the uh, mind control nanobots are working for all the players that have taken that vaccine too. Have, have they all got autism yet? <laughs> I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> Some of them certainly would be on the spectrum. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm so, so tempted to ask you name them. <laughs> we'll just, we might just move on so we don't incriminate ourselves any further. Yeah, let's not do that. Um, all right, at this point, I feel inclined to ask, have we had any emails? We've had, I tell you what, we've had a couple of big emails. They're absolutely fucking massive, right? So oh, we okay. can't cover them here because, like, I actually read them both. They're like articles, so I was thinking if we save them for the next episode, maybe. We can do that. Yeah. Um, what else is there? I should see if we've had any comments. Yeah. I mean, it's only, we only ask every episode. 
yeah, it'd be nice if our our listeners, if they're still around, if they could fucking do some comments, eh? Well, they they do tell us when they're, you know, on Twitter. We yeah. do see them occasionally talking about, you know, that we're a good podcast they regularly listen to. Yeah. They never yeah. leave any comments, though. I just need some more positive reinforcement out of these people. Yes. Um, our regular listeners, listeners will know that I'm not someone who's who's good with praise, and I think the only way to rectify that is if you give me heaps. Yeah, what, yeah, what we should do, right? You get on Apple, get on Apple Review, right? Give us a five star rating, and then just praise Andrew like it's like I want I want to hear his like he he is doing all of the best things in the world, like he's helping the children. Yeah, I am. Oh, man, uh, I'm getting them food. This this shows what a bad person I am because I'm trying to think of what would make someone be a good person. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, th- I was saying, think of what you'd like to do and then think of the opposite of that. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. He's talking to people. He's uh, <laughs> being really friendly. <laughs> being nice to journalists. Being wonderful to the journalists. Not calling them psychopaths and things like that, all that sort of stuff. So yeah. praise, praise Andrew Ferguson. And what could you, what could they say about me? Say that. Um, well, I could praise your free thinking mind. Make you know what they could praise you, and then make me sound like a hippie or something like that. A hippie. Yeah, just something really weird. A hippie. No, no, okay, I've got it, I've got it, right? Praise Andrew over the top and then um, then say something about me like I'm coming back from being at sea for like three years. <laughs> sure, that reminds me of a story that actually happened during this whole COVID-19 thing. Is There was one, one elderly bloke. No, I've not read the full story too well, so I'm only going off a bit of hearsay here. But there's one elderly bloke in England who settled, he set these Guinness World records for, you know, rowing records for someone over the age of seventy or eight or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he's decided to go for his biggest venture yet, and that was to row, I think, from the UK to the West Indies. What? By the time he, when he left the UK, there was no coronavirus there. But by yeah. the time he arrived in West Indies, it's everywhere. He's been at sea the whole time. Yeah. No one's running up to hug him or give him a high five or anything like that. And he can't get back home because he's, you know, they don't have a fight to go back in. I, mean, I wonder if someone said to him, mate, get back in your boat just fucking row back. Yeah, wow. Can you imagine that? Eight years old. It's like this story, and I can't remember who the explorer was, um, but they, they went down to the South Pole, I believe it was, and their ship got crushed. And there was a, a bunch of them got into a rowboat and basically rowed um, towards, I think it was South America. And they ended up um, finding a whaling station that was on a little island. And they asked about World War One because they'd been at sea. They hadn't heard anything for like three or four years. And when they uh, when they turned up at this whaling station and they heard that World War One was still going and it was so much worse than it was before. They couldn't believe it. Yeah, I thought that's what I was going to say. 
World War One. We're actually in World War Two now. <laughs> Do you know there was actually a Japanese um, fighter that was in the jungle, and he didn't believe the war was over until the seventies. Yes, I have heard that story. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he had to get. They had his family, and the it was something like the. Um, it was like a minister or something from the time that he was a soldier, and that's the only way he would give up, yeah. is that they all basically showed him, and it was people that he trusted. That's right. He was still in the jungle or something for most of that time, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he'd he yeah. been killing people. Yeah. Um, he'd been saving his ammunition and stuff and killing villagers in the, in the local area. That's why they knew they had to finally do something. I think it was 1970... It's either 74 or 76 from memory, man. which is crazy. So look, that man has to have the Guinness record for, for rationing. You'd think so, eh? He's made his entire kit last 30 years. Yeah, that's man. a pretty good effort. That, that's pretty impressive. At what point does it, did he ran out of his uh, ration toilet paper, though? You know what I mean? Now, he'd have been great in COVID-19. He really would have. He, he, would really, have just, he would have just bought one roll of toilet paper and said, this some bitch is going to last me for the next three pandemics. <laughs> <laughs> and I still have spares. I'm, I'm set. Just give me one muesli bar and a roll of toilet paper. I'm set <laughs> for the next 30 years. Have you ever seen that dude on uh, YouTube that eats the old ration packs? No. Oh, man, it is amazing. <laughs> so he buys old ration packs. Now... Like, there's a story. I know I know somebody that was uh, in the 90s. They were in the armed forces, and they were eating ration packs that were um, put together for the Vietnam War. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. It was just what happened. So, but this dude, he ate meat from the Boer War. Holy hell. Yeah. That must have been coated in salt. It was, from memory, it was very uh, granulated and it had um, cartilage and stuff in it. And he he made like a paste out of it and he had a taste yeah. of that. And yeah, but did it's he, really cool. Oh, let me look up his name because he's, did, it's a really cool. Did he die? Cool no, no, he lived. He ta- he, he's, he's very careful with uh, what he eats. Yeah, not and, really. Well, he, you know, he's it's not careful. Tinned meat from the Boer War. I mean, that's only 100 years old. That's going to be the oldest tin. Of, that must have been the first can of Spam. The Boer. Okay, his name is his name on YouTube, if you look up Steve1989MRE-INFO. He's got 208 videos. He's got 1.63 million subscribers, so he's got a few more than we have. And, yeah, you look through and he has... Some, I mean, he does modern day ration packs, which are a, a bit boring if you ask me, because it's just stuff you could buy yourself, quite honestly. But he goes back, like he's eaten World War Two, World War One, like he he will eat anything. Bloody hell! Mm. That's insane. Would he eat some of the food that's been dished up to Gordon Ramsay in some of those restaurants he's been in? <laughs> Probably that's the not. ultimate test that's the ultimate test 
Man, I went through all of those, hey. I literally watched every single episode on YouTube. I've I've seen all of YouTube now and all of Netflix. See, there's nothing I find more um, amusing than having a, a poncy British clown going out into America and telling a bunch of people out there that they're dickheads and they can't sit there and do anything because they need his help. I, <laughs> I love just, watching that. I love you just watching. see that... that Conflict within them, they sit there, they want to bash the shit out of him, but at the same time, they yeah. know they have to listen to him. The best part for me is when he's just, he's, he's giving shit to the chefs and the service and that, and they're just at their very, like, they're at the peak of it all falling apart because the production staff has all filled the restaurant, you know? And then he goes and looks in the fridge. Yeah. And like, that, to me, right, is like the, that's them. the pinnacle. I've crushed them. Now I'll go and destroy them. Yeah. That's <laughs> the best part for me. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> this is what we do in our spare time when there's no football on. We watch Gordon Ramsay abusing people. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Like, uh, it's, it's what gets me through my uh, Craig Bellamy withdrawals. Yeah. How many people have you called a donkey since watching that? <laughs> I haven't I haven't mentioned donkeys at all since that. Hey Julie. Hey Julie, how are you? Um so yeah, it's been a good episode, huh? It's been all footy. We wanted to take your minds off of all the bullshit that's going on. Just forget the media, fucking them off. But uh yeah, we want to talk a bit more footy lately and so that's what we're doing. That's what we're gonna do. Yeah, we're gonna try and be a bit more cheerful and a bit more happy and a bit more laid back, I guess, and um that is until the media do something stupid and we decide to get the shits over it. Yeah. Which is bound to happen, but you know. Not tonight. We're gonna we're gonna play it chill. Let me just let me just look at the headlines. I'm not gonna say what they are. Um Yeah, we can't talk about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, tell us about tell us about your Patreon, Andrew. I wanna hear about it. The Patreon, yeah, go to www.patreon.com slash rlproject. You can make a donation there from as little as $1 a month. Um, Currently putting in a lot of details from the Kangaroo Tours, Mm. the very early ones. Um, So working on that, still working on getting the New South Wales Rugby League seasons between 1946 and 1975 finished. That's the last lot there. And in the process of digitising the entire uh, club football history, all divisions in the UK from 1895. That's incredible. Some several tens of thousands of games. Yeah, that's um, amazing. It will more than double what we've currently got on the website for games. Um, so, yes, I do need as much financial support as possible if I'm going to get that done before... I turned 200 years old. <laughs> uh, man, there's some work there. Plus, yeah. I'm, I'm working on a book. I'll try and have a lot more detail about that. Hopefully, i get that finished this year. Um, and got a bunch of other books to do next year and beyond. So, I'm busy. Um, as well as having a, a you know, a nine-to-five job, so to speak. So, um the ultimate dream, I guess, is to get a full-time income from Patreon so that I can work 
on the website, all this rugby league history stuff, the books, the website, all that gear, have that available for all you fantastic people to do what you wish with, I guess. Yeah, um, amazing. Well and, worth it too. And tell us about your Patreon, Luke Freak. Uh, my one is at patreon.com forward slash league freak, no spaces. Um, and basically what I'm looking to do with that, you can sign up for as little as three US dollars a month, which is less than a cup of coffee. Um, and it's basically everything that I get from that goes into, um, website costs and podcasting equipment, um, and yeah, got six people signed up to that so far, which is really cool. You signed up, you were the last person that signed up. So thank you for that through the Rugby League project. Um, and yeah, it just, it all goes towards leaguefreak.com. I've got uh, rugbyleaguepodcastingnetwork.com, uh, nrlbreakingnews.com. A little bit goes towards uh, fergunthefreak.com, which is mine and Andrew's together, obviously. Um, and yeah, it just all goes towards that. It's, you know, I'd just like to cover the costs of that if I could. So that and the 57 other website addresses that I've, uh, I've found four others I'd like to get. Hey, that you've accumulated. I haven't bought, I haven't bought more, but there's four others that if I bought them, a couple of them would upset people and a couple of them. I feel like somebody eventually would come to me and say, hey, we would like to buy this off for you. That sounds like a reason to buy them. Why haven't you? Because I can't keep buying all of these fucking addresses. I I was worried you were starting to get a conscience. Nah. What? Yeah, thank fuck for that. What? Yeah. Didn't want that. It was going to be detrimental to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, we can't have that. I like to, I like to keep my sociopathic, narcissistic tendencies. It's always good entertainment. Keep them in but check. Also, yeah. Well, it's, you know, as you do. I yeah, can always can... do. Apparently, the fullback for people that do that is they can say they're a player manager, not manager. They just or, say, oh, "Yeah, I'm a or player." Planning to become one. Yeah. That's always good. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Fergo Freak Pod. You can follow us on Instagram, Fergo Freak Pod. You can follow us on and like us on uh, Facebook. Yes. I don't know the full address on it. It's, it's facebook.com slash Fergo and the Freak or something like yeah, that. Yeah, look up Fergo and the Freak. You'll find us. Yeah, we're on there somewhere. Um, we're on YouTube. Make sure you get over there. Subscribe to us on there. Uh, just What you got to do is just go around clicking buttons and then set and forget you know mm. do us a favor people and in return we'll keep doing podcasts if you don't like it stiff shit we'll keep doing them anyway <laughs> listen you're gonna like it and that's all there is to it damn it yeah you're gonna like it or we'll just keep doing it i like the idea that somebody has listened to this podcast now for however long we've done it and we there's the thought that they might not like what we're doing like if you don't like us at this point man you should have shut this shit off like about an hour and a half ago Although, I do like the fact that there may be people who rage listen to us. Oh, there's definitely rage listeners. Yeah. I find that amusing. Yeah. Because I'll tell you how much, you know, they'll, they'll constantly complain about what you're talking about. And you're just going, you know what, you're listening. What do you reckon a rage listener would least like to hear from us right now? 
um, anything where we disagree with the mainstream media. Oh, you know who our rage listeners would be? Would be fucking journalists. Yeah, they'd be they'd be rage listening to us. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Journalists listen to podcasts because that's where all of their content comes from. That and uh, fucking forums. Forums, Bulldog. yeah. Bulldog. Yes. Forums are a bit of a dying thing these days, so they just tend to go to Twitter. Yeah, it's a shame. I'll have to talk about my glory days in forums one day. <laughs> There's an idea. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, there's a few people on Twitter who, they like to take the work of other people, I guess, and use it as their own. What are you, George, thinking about? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just talking out of my ass a bit here, I guess. Bye, George. Oh, well. You know. Something something about the surname, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Something about the surname. Oh, we should we should jump off here before we get ourselves in trouble. Well, it's only going to be from a few decades. Who cares? Yeah, that's true. Um, on that fantastic note, hope you've enjoyed this episode, people. Um, let us know what you think. Have a have a chat with us on Twitter, and uh, go around and click all those buttons. Leave us a comment, five star comment, and a five star review and a, a positive comment. We'll read it out. We'll pop it up on the website, and we'll catch us all later.